welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and hugging giant plush mushrooms. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pi or Pi Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. I'm into fidget spinners, terrible poetry, and smoking a tobacco pipe. And today on the show, we have Tor Rocha, recently retired from a 37-year stint as an employee of the city of Oakland, California, culminating in her becoming public works supervisor. Nice to meet you, Tora. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, I'm excited about this. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Well, and for some some context, a few shows ago, we had on Anka, who shared with us a little bit about Tora, and that led to an introduction, and that's why Tora is here with us today to talk about her experience. So thank you for oh, being yeah. with us, Tora, and, and yeah. let's dive thanks in. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Anka. <laughs> well, so tell us about your path to leadership and management and where you are now. Well, I'll start with my career because that's probably the most important. I started at the city of Oakland actually working for the Oakland Zoo as an elephant trainer and then did animal keeping for about five years. And in the meantime, got moved to Children's Fairyland as an animal keeper and got to be work with the seventh generation gardeners, Japanese style gardeners that I just got mesmerized with. And then I realized I wanted to be on the other end of that manure pile. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Shoveling shit for a living gets old. <laughs> so, um, wow, that that needs to be one of our like taglines for the show. Shoveling shit for a living gets old. I, I mean, frankly, I'm shocked. That that's- <laughs> so yeah. let's just go into management instead. Oh no, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So I get to work with these amazing master gardeners, and I decided to get into horticulture, and then I became a gardener in 19. 19- a gardener crew leader, actually. I got, became a gardener and then got promoted within a year and a half to gardener crew leader. And I took ornamental horticulture at Merritt College and I just loved it. I just dove right in and I was a gardener for about 25 years. And it was during the crash, the 2008 crash, when they cut all the staff and, you know, gardening and all the landscape maintenance employees, they're always the bottom of every budget. Mm-hmm. You know, the the top of the budget in government is safety. So police and fire, city government. So the gardeners got slashed. And I was in charge of a rose garden that was five acres of roses, 8,000 rose bushes. And the, all of a sudden I had no staff. So it was just me and 12 other locations besides that rose garden. And I was like, this is impossible. There's no way. Yeah. you know so There's that's no amount of I, love for the thing that you can uh, think can get you right. that work done right and when you're passionate about something and that's what I am very passionate about Oakland's green spaces they have phenomenal green spaces and I was really really frustrated and angry at management for not having a bigger vision for Oakland I'm only focusing on reactionary departments instead of proactive And I started a volunteer program at the Rose Garden. And I think that's where it stemmed. Like, I didn't realize what a leader I was, even though I had been a leader of a crew, a crew leader, a gardener crew leaders in charge of all the landscape maintenance for an area of Oakland. So they have usually have staff underneath them, usually a gardener two or a couple gardener twos and then part-time employees. So I had been leading. And when I started as a crew leader, I was very young. I was the youngest one gardener crew leader, and I was the only woman, the very first gardener crew leader woman. And that was really difficult. I mean, I had people get on my truck and say, oh, I am not taking any orders from no woman young enough to be my granddaughter. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and they're like, wow. and I'm like, so get off, get off the truck. This is my truck now. So <laughs> I just had to have a, you know, cause it was also, there was a lot of sexual harassment then in the eighties. I was one of, you know, there was 117 employees and two women and it was really tough. Wow. Um, and yeah, I mean, I got sexually harassed in a meeting room and I mean, literally grabbed and groped and the supervisor's like, well, you just don't get along with men. And when I reported it, wow. every, every man in that room said that I had lied, that I just wanted a lawsuit to get money. So I had to prove, you know, and I mean, this is a little graphic, but basically I would wait until I saw each one of those guys in that room alone in the hallway. And I would take my pruners that were on my hip and put it in their crotch and say, next time you touch me on the hole off and that's that's how i got respect you know? <laughs> it's rough that's, wow that's, that's i mean working, working in tech is also hard in that sense but holy cow yeah no yeah, this wow. was, you know these were these were hard times you know there were no women leaders then and there was nowhere to go no one is going to support you because i think they saw that women were starting to come up in the ranks so they were very threatened by me mm-hmm. you know and then i went and got an education in horticulture so you know i was just you know, she thinks she's authority. You think she thinks she's special. And, you know, and that's been the really probably the thing that motivated me the most in becoming a leader was the fact that we need to change the way we look at landscaping period as humans. Mm -hmm. Um, And that gardeners are not outdoor custodians. They are actually stewards of your local ecosystems. And we need to train like that. We need to staff like that. We need to fund like that. I mean, it's at a critical point now and gardening, it's like in the trades, you know, if you want to be an electrician or a plumber, you have to go and become an apprentice and then before you become a journeyman, but anybody can get a mower and a blower and call themselves a gardener. Oh, sure. Um, But it's a science, you know, and that's really pathetic that we spend millions and millions and millions of dollars of re-landscaping things and then hire people who don't know how to maintain them because they're hard, because they're hardworking. They don't know the science behind it. You know, there's a there's a lot of science behind keeping your landscapes alive. Were you I, able to to address that? Uh, were you able to get sort of, you know, I'm trying to think of the terms yeah. to use for city government. I'm a little bit involved in city government, but obviously not, you know, I did not, I don't work for the city of Oakland, but yes. the same thing, like, how do you talk to your higher ups about these kinds of problems? Were you able to make a change there? Get them well, to I, had a, I had a really reason. good manager that he had a, education and ecology, I believe. And uh-huh. he saw he saw the broken piece. I mean, in order to be a gardener for the city of Oakland, all you needed was an eighth grade education. Oh, and okay. so now it's changed. You have to have like tw- at least 12 units of horticulture. Oh, that, um, so that has and, made a difference. Right. And you have to have a high school diploma. And yeah, no, we've, we worked really hard. I also, you know, the city council members would start listening to me as I became, a, when I got promoted Mm-hmm. to park supervisor, it was because of my volunteer programs that I did. And the one that Anka was very involved with, the one at the Rose Garden, mm-hmm. where I literally was just desperately trying to save that garden. And mm-hmm. I created the dedicated deadheaders because yeah, deadhead, yeah. they deadhead roses all the time. And, you know, they earn a tie-dyed vest when they go <laughs> through a master volunteer program. So Oakland, I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, I realized, it, you know, it's all about marketing, whether you're marketing, you know, free labor or you're marketing whatever. Ah, uh, yeah. And um, so my press release for the kickoff of the Deadheaders was the evolution of baby boomers from Woodstock to Rootstock. 
<laughs> that is great. Yes, marketing is a huge part of leadership. Right. And that's, and so when that stemmed, I mean, it was very, it, that group is still going strong today. And that was 2009 when I kicked that off. Um, and I got my idea from Terry Riley at the San Jose Rose Garden, who is a volunteer who started the Master Volunteer Program down there. And that's how I met Anka. Mm-hmm. I saw that they, I was trying to figure out ways to get volunteers to want to stay, not just, you know, it's, that's the hardest part. And, uh-huh. and at their program down there, their volunteers are very competitive and it's because they record their hours and they get competitive with each other and they earn little stars on their vests they, and stuff they like gamify that. gamify the volunteer they, process. They right? totally <laughs> did. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's really great. And have these big, these green vests that say master volunteer and, um, so a lot of retired people go, um, and I realized that I wanted their, I asked Terry, how do you get all those hours from the people? How do they do it? And he's like, oh, they email me. And then I put it up on the chart and I'm like, oh no, I don't want to get all those. <laughs> that's a lot of manual labor. Yeah. So, Talking about uh, well, working in landscaping. Right. I saw so yeah, <laughs> an entry. Right. I was like, no. So I talked to Anka, um, cause she started volunteering and I, um, also met James, McBrien. Oh my God, I'm so bad. He had his last name right. Anyway, he he came up to me at a street fair because I was advertising for volunteers and he said, I build websites and I work for Techies Without Borders and I'd like to help you, you know, on the web part, not necessarily in the garden. And so I connected him to Anka and then we kicked off a Friends of the Gardens website. But he also, they created Track It. Um, it was called Our Volts then. Now it's called Track It Forward. Um, Because I told them I wanted this, I wanted to collect the data from this volunteering, but I wanted the volunteers to to do it, not me. But in their hours, yeah. And so they together they created this um, program, and this, and then it became a mobile app, and and now it's used everywhere. I mean, I think the Red Cross uses Track It Forward. So I always tell the story that. you know, I wanted to go to the moon, and I asked Uncle and James, and they built my rocket. You know, <laughs> so that's, that's how awesome. I always tell that story. Yeah, no, it was it was really. I'm so proud. I feel like, you know, I just had this crazy idea, and they took it to, the, to literally to the moon, and back. And now, James, <laughs> all the city volunteer sites, um, they have track it forward um, related to them. That's how they upload their hours. I mean, it's really important if you're going to get a grant. You know, your grantors want to know if for a garden or something, they want to know how many volunteer hours you have. And a lot of the volunteers before, they're like, oh, I don't want to send an email. Mm. I don't want to sign a time card. And so, um, but they don't mind. It's right on your phone. You just boop, boop. It's so easy. Yeah, it's really great. So, so I, I want to, I've been specifically instructed to ask you about the elephant. Like you said, <laughs> you worked as an elephant trainer, which is, you know, obviously we need to know all about that. <laughs> but, but is there a specific elephant story that uh, I've been asked uh, to, to get you to tell us? <laughs> oh no. Is this from Anka? <laughs> it is from Anka. <laughs> oh my God. There's so many. Ooh, pick one though. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stories about the, you know, Smokey. Um, I worked with Smokey and Lisa, and they Lisa was a three-year-old African elephant. She's female, of course, and Smokey was a nine-year-old male. Um, and 
I wonder which story Olga told you. That's so funny. She didn't tell um, me any story. She uh, just told me to ask you about the elephant. <laughs> well, there was one where um, <laughs> probably when I was the human soccer ball. Probably, oh, my. Um, we used to, every morning, we would take them out and r- let them run loose around the zoo. And they would love to eat the trees, you know, the pine trees and the pine needles. and Because their enclosure then was horrible and small. So it was really good for them. And all we had was our hook. And everyone's like, oh, the evil hook. But they can't even feel that. Their skin is like six inches thick. You know, that's it's just a like a pointer, really. Like, okay, go that way. No, come this way, you know. Um, they have to want to be led by you. Leadership of elephants is a totally is, different thing. Wait, yeah, so this is like to win them over. a long stick with a hook on it. Like, I mean, I, I've never seen this. Yeah, so it's like I, cartoon style. Yeah. Um, she's looking over there to see if she has one. <laughs> I do. I, I do have it here, but I don't and see I, I it. have it's to okay. assume that the story is going to end with, and that's how I learned to lead people with a hook. But sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it works. And actually, after a while, I realized food works way better than a hook. Ah, so, with people yeah. or with elephants? With Ooh, elephants. Both, probably. Probably both. You know, yes. What, then, what learnings from elephant leadership can you apply to humans? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, oh, I bet, I bet it's, I bet it's the 4th of July parade story. It seems That's like she's probably talking. So we took Lisa to Sausalito for their 4th of July parade. You know, she's a three-year-old elephant. Um, we travel with her. Um, we used to do several parades, like the Raiders parade when they actually won the Super Bowl and stuff like that. Simple little parades, but we were in Sausalito and after the parade was over, we were in the city park and we had this little fenced off area. It was just a rope where we were doing little, we do a little show on the weekends. And Lisa was, you know, we were doing this little show and somebody had their dog off the leash and the dog came running up and started to bark. And well, she's never seen a dog ever because there's no dogs allowed in the zoo. You know, so she just started freaking out. And I don't know if you've heard about rogue elephants, like once they (laughs) rogue they just run and so here all of a sudden her ears go out and she's like and i'm like oh my god and she just takes off right <laughs> in the middle of the park where all the people are laying on their blankets and i mean she'll just stomp them she's not going to run around people you know and i was like oh my god and we're like lisa 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 so i just ran through the crowd and lisa's full blast running through and i'm just like i'm just envisioning dead babies you know like oh my god she's gonna stop on by an elephant and i was like oh my god and so i just know i've been trained that they only respond to food at that point that's Mm -hmm. it so i'd snag someone's um loaf of bread i just saw like a kilpatrick's loaf of bread on their blanket (laughs) i grabbed it and i started flinging it like frisbees trying to get it in front of her so stop and eat yeah and sure enough, it worked. Finally, one flew right in front of her and she stopped and eat. I started eating them. And I walked over with the bread and I was like, oh my God. <sighs> I got her to calm down and I Quick let her back. And it was like, yeah, it was like frisbee, you know, frisbee bread, you know. <laughs> so I'm so, thinking in the moment. Oh, go ahead, Kendall. Well, this, this has to, like, I can't tell if this is like legit you trained an elephant or if this is all just a metaphor for, let me tell you about that time. All I could think about was dead babies. I'm throwing food like frisbees. I finally wrangled their attention. This is, this is all just a leadership metaphor, right? I mean, this it's is all a leadership metaphor. Everything you did with an elephant as a trainer was just a leadership metaphor. It, and they thick skin and it matter how hard I pulled them and pointed them in certain directions. 
Exactly. Don't try to push and pull. You just lead them gently with food. Then it works. You know, that's really the carrot. Right. It's like the carrot dangling the carrot. Well, mine just happened to be slices of bread. You know, it's like. Well, unless you're, you know, going back to the shears and (laughs) getting the pruners and getting getting people to respect you. That's a different stage of 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 leadership. That was when you're, you know, you're trying to get up the ranks. Um, with the elephants, you just get thrown right into it. It's like, okay, now you're a leader of elephants. Do it, you know. Wow. Like, so, oh, uh, and by the way, they have thick skin and can stamp, uh, stampede over babies. And oh, and by the way, they'll out <laughs> and they'll just lose track of everything and go full speed ahead. Right. Yeah. So, well, they don't. They don't do. I mean, zookeeping has evolved immensely. Like they don't do that anymore. They don't take elephants out mm-hmm. into the public and. You know, the elephants are behind a fence. Um, invariably, probably maybe Anka was bringing up the Smokey. Um, after I had left, there was a zookeeper who was not such a nice guy. And we uh-huh. won't go into that. Um, he was a senior keeper. He actually, Smokey actually killed him. <gasps> and um, my wow. mother called me immediately when it was on the news. I knew it was, I knew it the minute I heard Elephant Kills Trainer. On the news, like, and news that story at six or whatever. And I went, Oh, I bet Smokey killed Lauren. You know, it was like, um, that's it. Was I knew it for some reason. And my mother called me immediately, going, I'm so glad you quit that job. And I said, (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. It's like, probably wouldn't happen to you though. I don't know. You know, he, it, the difference between African elephants and Asian elephants is one has been domesticated for centuries. You know, the Asian elephants, like in Thailand and stuff, logging Mm -hmm. and, they're part of the community, but in Africa, those are wild animals. So it's like the difference between a wolf and a dog. So personally, you know, what African elephants, you're playing with fire when you're trying to work with them, you know, like the way they did, we had, we had them doing circus acts and they should have never been doing shows. They should just be being elephants. And now they do now Oakland zoo. Dr. Parrot is amazing leader. Talk about, wow. Um, and that's like the only PETA supported zoo that I know of. Oh, wow. Uh, they've yeah. completely changed and he's a veterinarian and he's the director and I think that helps. Um, but that's not how it was when I was there and we had, oh my God, tons of bad leadership. <laughs> oh gosh. And, that, well, and it was just a dare. It was a different time. We were like one of the worst zoos in the country. Um, well, I want to turn things around a bit more to talk about you personally. Um, our, uh, this is a question we ask a lot of people, and again, I always think I know the answer to this, and I'm often wrong. Uh, are you an introvert or an extrovert, and how did that affect your career, your work? Oh, I'm an extrovert. Uh-huh. I was right. <laughs> I'm such an extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think that it would have been a lot harder if you were an introvert, or do you think that really helped you to being an oh, extrovert? Oh, yeah, yeah. My, my partner is an introvert, and I see... I see. I learned a lot. I actually read the book, The Power of Introversion, mm-hmm. to understand my partner better. And I learned a lot about how the difference and how it can cause problems too. As a leader, it's really important to know how both introverts and extroverts process. Um, and so, like for meetings, extroverts for me, I like I process things out loud. Discussing mm-hmm. it with something, that's how I find my vision. Is, is discussing it talking and talking through it, talking through it. It really helps me. Um, I'm also a visual person. Um, and the introverts I learned need to look at what's going on, go away, process it and come back before they can actually, um, contribute really their, their best work. 
and extroverts are going to want to take over the, the meeting and their ideas are out there. So when we have um, like board meetings and stuff and it's a brain session, brainstorming session, we'll let the introverts go first and then go to lunch and then let the introverts um, bring their time and we make the extroverts stay quiet. Um, And that way the introverts can get their process um, over lunch and then come back and give their wonderful ideas, you know, and that was probably one of the best leadership teaching tools I ever learned. Um, Oh yeah. was doing that. Yeah. It was to turn off my intro, my extroversion and listen to the introverts. Um, But after I've given them time to process it. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually better if you can do it overnight. If you have like a, Oh, afternoon and then the morning after. Yeah. Right, right. Give them time to, give them a little more time. I mean, only an hour lunch isn't really, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) get get their best ideas. But um, I think being with an introvert really helps, you know, because you can see it on a day-to-day basis how their process works. I think if there was two... I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to, so in the situation that you're describing where you, ha- um, where you have this sort of setup that the introverts can process the information coming from everybody first, did, did the, the folks ident- self-identify as introverted or is it like just something that happens naturally? Is this an overt process that you describe to them or how well, does that it work? Per- that particular instance I was talking about is, um, was at a board meeting and we asked people, are you an introvert or extrovert? Mm-hmm. And then if somebody said I'm an introvert, but I knew they were an extrovert, I kind of went, <laughs> I know you. I know you. You're so, you just want to be left alone with the introverts. You can take over. So, oh. <laughs> so, but, but it also used that a lot as a manager. Once I got promoted to park supervisor, um, I had 25 people under me. Were they all directly reporting to you or was it yes. tiered? Oh, wow. How do you manage the careers of that many people? It was very difficult. And part of them, I had eight full-time staff, sometimes 10, and it, and the rest were part-time staff. So it fluctuated a lot. They come and go because it's only a part-time position. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really difficult. Um, but it's a lot of work. And what I learned, you know, and it's very different from volunteers, like leading volunteers, um, so I had to learn kind of on my feet, but they send you to a lot of trainings, um, uh-huh. get a lot of trainings. I also went to Pacific Southwest Park Maintenance Management School, which is like a boot camp. You wow. go to like Arrowhead Cabot and uh, it's people from all over all these different states, usually municipalities or local governments send their um, landscape maintenance crews and their managers to it's for supervision. And you learn how to do a park maintenance management plan, which if you do it correctly, can go down to the dollar how much it's going to cost to maintain something. They're parks, like large, you know, and um, yeah, yeah. Stay a week with these people and you learn how to work as a team with these strangers. And it was really, they'd play games and they watch, make you watch videos and you watch, um, you know, um, the, the one of the one, that hit, there's a couple big impact videos that you watch. One was working in a fishbowl um, and working for local government, especially in the parks, we work in the fishbowl. What does um, that mean? <laughs> it means that everybody's watching us. Ah, okay. um, and that the public, you know, if you know local, the public, they get angry at the mayor. They get angry at the... Um, they get angry at the Public Ethics Commission. I was right. <laughs> then, then they come and they yell at us or they have an opinion about what we do. 
They because own, you're not in an office, you're actually out in a in the public, public place yeah, you're where visible. people see you and confront you. Right. And so people were also actually easier to judge. You know, like you see, a lot of times you'll see, um, you know, like San Francisco, they followed that gardener for a week, this journalist, to see, mm-hmm. oh, he only actually worked two hours in the, the whole day, in like eight hours in the whole week. And people attack that gardener. And I'm like, no, that's a bad manager. Why doesn't he know where his people are? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's, but that's what it, people are always trying to find those kind of information on city workers because they think they have an opinion of them. Yeah. Um, it's a control thing to some degree. Like they don't right. feel like they have any control over say the federal government. And so they just come and find the people they can actually harass. And well, and because it's government's, government's there's some sense of I'm paying your paycheck, so you need to work hard. Where you know, if you, you work for a private company and and you only spend two hours a day working, nobody feels like you're nobody. Losing. Nobody, Kendall. Okay, well, yeah, <laughs> people, people don't feel ownership over your time in the same way. <laughs> not, well, not yeah, I know. Right. Well, I would talk. I actually, you can talk to anyone. My staff, I tell them all the time. You have to be your own commercial. You have to be out there. The public, with I mean, we are so short-staffed around the, we never bounced back from 2008 ever mm-hmm. in staffing. A lot, of, a lot of departments and, didn't. No, and we're so short-staffed. And I said, how can I possibly go out to City Hall and ask for more staff if all the public ever sees is you on your John Deere Gator on the phone? You're texting or you're, you're they need to see you working. And because I know you're working because I see the, the product, the, the end results, product, yeah. the results. But if all people are just seeing snapshots of you as they drive by, as they jog by, as they walk, you know, and they see that they're not, and they hear that the city says, we don't have enough money to make your park look the way you want it to look. But yet they see you on the phone. That's their snapshot, their snapshot. Yeah. And so I tell yeah. them, you have to be your own commercial. So, so Tora, I, I mean, I want to ask uh, along these lines. I mean, you, you have a little bit of a, you know, unique experience having been in government that long and in leadership so long, but also, you know, the majority of the people that we have on our show are, are in the middle of some complex leadership issue right now, and it's the top of their mind, and it's all they can think about. And you, you know, having the different vantage point of having recently retired and looking back on your career. And I'm curious if you can share, you know, maybe with a little bit of distance on it, what's, what's, uh, you know, one or maybe two really significant leadership lessons that you learned early on, maybe even something that you wish you'd known earlier on um, that you can share just kind of with, with the whole career perspective behind you. Um, Leading by fear is absolutely wrong and creates a collapse in the culture. You cannot lead by fear. Like, you cannot have motivation be that if you don't have this job, you're going to lose your paycheck. You know, people working in fear are so less productive, period. Mm-hmm. Do you mean that as a manager operating out of fear or do you mean as a manager imposing fear upon your people? Like, like what? Or, as or a is- manager, as a manager imposing fear. And usually okay. that's because you had pe- fear above you, you know? Um, sure. And for a long time, that was the culture. Like, you know, they're going to lose their job. You know, um, I, it's just absolutely, I believe in leading by example, period. Um, and I do believe that you will be a better leader if you're passionate about what you're leading. Um, and that's, I think they're just, you're a better human being if you're doing what you're passionate about um, in the long run. And you can, and passion is contagious and you won't have to work as hard as a leader if you can share your passion 
and you find people who are passionate about the same thing. Finding people that were passionate in landscaping and gardening was, you can see a huge difference in the production of, of the productivity of those crews. Um, mm -hmm. And that's so important. I mean, if anybody was in the middle of struggling, it, look, really look at your career. You know, um, if you're angry all the time, it's not good for you nor your manager and your health. You know, um, you have to get into something you care about. I know some people just have to have a job. Yeah. Then just look at it. But I do believe what's missing the most is empathy in leadership, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, that's starkholder superiority, you know, um, it, it's everything comes from the top and nobody, nobody's worth anything, but what their end results are. I mean, we're humans, we're all humans and that empathy, um, Simon Sinek, I think, I believe his name, he has great speeches right now out there on the internet. I would highly, if somebody's struggling, um, watch his YouTube videos. Oh my God, they're eye-opening. I'll, I'll try and make sure to get that name correct in the show notes later. Yeah, he's, his, and he talks about um, how everyone comes up to him and he does leadership talks to Apple and Microsoft and he can compares the two two organizations and how their their vision is different you know um it's all about having a clear vision when i had managers who did not have a clear vision they were there because they had a job we had no vision to follow mm -hmm. you know? it's harder to be passionate it's harder to be passionate well it's harder to do your job if you don't have absolute clear expectations of what your job is and mm -hmm. i believe that having clear give clear expectations to your staff. Um, and if you're staff, if you are a person that your manager is not doing that, don't be afraid to ask. I think people are so afraid to, to not feel like they can make a mistake because in the corporate world, mm -hmm. you know, if you're not performing, you're out. So you don't want to admit that I don't know, or you don't want to admit that because of the, 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 that leading with fear of losing your job keeps you from being honest with yourself as an employee. Okay. Um, and that was one thing. I mean, the, the city of Oakland, it's got a very strong union. So it's not like we could go around firing people all the time. It's a long process. You know, mm -hmm. they have to. And so it wasn't quite that feeling. But I mean, they still get appraisals and there's still ways to make them feel inadequate. So I tried not to do that. I tried to find people's, their niche and use their best you know, what people are good at and put, have them do that instead of making everybody perform the same all the time. Just, just care about your people and have care compassion. about your people. Right. And if somebody's, you know, um, if somebody's not performing well, ask them why, I mean, there's probably right. a reason why, you know, I mean, we're, it's not all about the money and especially in local government, it's not about the money, you know, and I think that's what happened to a lot of government is that we let the business culture come into the government culture, which is a totally upside down, completely different um, culture. I mean, when you are a corporation, you have stockholders to make happy, you have profits to be made to make the owner satisfied. But in a local government, we collect your taxes to give you a service. So if, right. we, if we're under budget, we're actually stealing, if you think about it. You know, we, oh. in, in, at the same time, at the same time, if you, you know, you go around and tell, I can't fix that pothole in front of your house because we don't have enough funding, but yet you're under budget, you're not doing your job. 
Yeah, that's, that's you know, just mismanagement. So it's mismanagement, but it's because they came in from the corporate world thinking that save, you know, save, yeah, yeah, you got you get under budget, you're you're good at what you do. That you know, so it's a different culture, and and it needs to be talked about. And I believe that there are managers who do know that there are people high up in city hall that do know that. So, um, but it has to be felt throughout the whole agencies. And, um, and I have to say, I think, um, you know, I, I had a man come into the garden that I worked at that really changed and shook me up, shook up my sense of who I was and what I was doing. Um, I actually was yelling at him because he was picking grape leaves in the Merritt College um, edible garden section. And I'm like, hey, you know, there's no picking the flowers or the, just helping yourself to the produce, you know? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. He goes, I have permission from Tom. And so he knew the guy and he makes dolma. His mm-hmm. wife makes I was dolma, wondering. The grape leaves. Yeah. And he turned around and said, thank you for what you're, thank you for what you're doing. And I was like, thank you. Why are you thanking me for yelling at for you? yelling <laughs> at you. <laughs> I didn't understand that one at all. And he's like, he goes, no, thank you, because it's people like you that make this country great. And I was like, what? And he's like, I'm from Libya. And he goes, where I come from, the ser- they're all the people are servants to the king. But in this country, we have servants for the people. And that's you. And I just wow. started to cry. Whoa. I was like, wow. He goes, your civil service is what makes this country great. That is like like, servant leadership. Yeah. I was like, wow. And I really started, you know, that was a big impact on me. And um, also reading Naomi Klein's um, Shock Doctrine. That that book made me a better civil servant. And I realized that I don't work for the mayor and city council. I work for you. I work for the taxpayers of Oakland. Um, and I need to give them a service. And so when I asked them to volunteer, I made sure I volunteered as many hours as I was asking anyone else to do too. Uh, well, this leads right into like, uh, it, it sounds like you kind of answered this question already, but what, what is your relationship with authority? How do you feel about having authority over other people? And how do you feel about other people having authority over you? Well, I, I never wanted to be a manager. Um, and my manager at the time, Jim Ryugo, he saw how I was leading the volunteers and how I was doing it. He goes, you have really good leadership qualities. Um, and I had been a crew leader this whole time. And I never really looked inward and said, oh, I am a leader. You know, I thought, no, I don't want to be a leader. But mm-hmm. I hated the way management looked at landscaping. Got to do it yourself. That's right. And <laughs> so I'm a, and I said, you know what? If you don't like management, you have to become management. And that's how you make change. And I, I tell people that about the government. If you don't like the government, become the government. Mm-hmm. That's how Run you for office. It. Run for office. Exactly. Don't just sit there and criticize because the world's full of critics. It's, we need more doers and less critics mm-hmm. you know, um, and people willing to be the change. And nobody wants to stand up there. And it's, I wouldn't, that's a hard job. But <laughs> Do you feel like you have a different relationship with authority than you did when you were younger before you, you oh, know, became yeah. a, an elephant trainer and all that stuff? Oh, yeah. You can do, you just complain. Oh, they don't know what they're doing up there. Blah, 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 blah. Once you get up there and you see, especially middle management, oh, my God, that's hard. Yeah. Because all you're, you're, you're delegating down to staff what they don't want to hear. Yeah, you're getting it from both ends. Right, and then <laughs> your staff tells you things how why they can't get it done. Yeah, you're just you're just total the sponge in the middle that gets wiped out. Yeah. You're you're dealing with an elephant with two butts, and you're just shoving, 
in the middle. And no uh, hook, and no hook to give you some some boundaries. You know, it's like no hook. What I, I mean, I just would realize, you know, they would just throw me under the bus, upper management, and then your staff would throw you under the bus when the management shows up. You know, it's like, hey, you know, um, I one example I have about um, middle management was you know, Lake Merritt has become incredibly popular. Mm -hmm. And I told management, you know, like in 2010, I said, this is our Golden Gate Park from the Rose Garden to the Bay. And we need to start treating it like that. We need more staff because the people are all wanting to hang out here on the weekend. We do not have enough staff to just keep up with the garbage alone. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and they didn't listen to me. They didn't listen to me. They didn't listen to me. And then um, one day, one Monday morning, there were just piles of garbage all up and down Lakeshore Avenue. And my um, the city council member sent in um, a picture and sent it to my manager and just says, what is going on? So he sends out an email to all the, to the city manager, the city, um, the mayor's office, the city councilman, and all the director of public works, all of these people. And they said, and he's like, you know, this is unacceptable. Oh, being CC'd. Oh, Oh, and I said, oh, so I just replied to all. (laughs) And I said, no, what's unacceptable is that you don't give me the staff to be able to deal with this. That's unacceptable. (laughs) And it's like, because I I finally realized this is how it works. They don't listen upward. They only listen downward. Uh, and this is what's happening. And I believe that's probably the biggest um, disconnect, I would say, in leadership and management is that you have to listen upward. I mean, below you. Yeah. You not just react to um, to whatever comes down on you, you know. And it's like, you know, like I said, our department is no longer park and tree services. It's cover blah, blah, blah's butt. Um, agency. <laughs> that's what we are now because that's all that was getting done was whatever he that would get trickled down to him and he would say this is get this done right now and it doesn't matter what you've told him is broken it's like get this done because it's something that he's directly responsible for mm-hmm. so that's sort of delegating and I listened to Kendall ask Uncle about managers who delegate everything out and they're twiddling their thumbs um, you know I think right now in the last five years, it wasn't necessarily twiddling their thumbs, but everyone was so focused on leadership training mm-hmm. and that leaders were just focusing on their own leadership careers and becoming leaders and going up the ladder. So they're out there at these leadership trainings or these leadership academies, this and that, and they're delegating all their actual work that taxpayers are paying them down below them. And huh. they're delegating too much because they're focusing on going up the rank. Well, what's the point? I mean, I believe in helping your leaders become better leaders, but there's got to be, you know, there needs to be a percentage of work spent like that. You know, I think that needs to be really clear. Like staying connected to the reality of the day to day. Right. You have to stay. It's not about just you. And so when leaders are, you know, it's, I think it's like this on anybody who's got is leadership over people it's sort of like the, um, it's like in police too. It's the seduction of power. So when you get people into leadership roles that are just want power, you're going to have yeah. bad leaders. You know, well, so, so it's, it's sort of all across the board, you know? 
Sure. Well, so we have to wrap up here shortly for time's sake. And, and I want to ask, uh, you know, you're, you're in retirement. Talk about what you're looking forward to in retirement and maybe what you miss <laughs> from working and like, what's, what's the plan? Oh, yeah. And, and tell us from- about the pollinator posse. Oh, okay. So basically I retired, um, one cause I've been there 37 years and, um, but also I wanted to do the pollinator posse full time. Um, and it was that what I said before about changing the way people look at landscapes. I had an epiphany um, several years ago where I realized that the decline of pollinators wasn't just um, farmers and pesticides, that it's actually how we landscape, how we look at landscapes, that humans are going around landscaping to make things aesthetically pleasing to humans instead of paying attention to how it affects the ecosystem. And we don't have the right to do that. So my whole goal is to go around and talk to professionals in the trade and hobbyists about how they're everything they do in their yards or their farms or their ranches or their parks is affecting the ecosystem and we need to look differently. And I realized that I had the chance, I had the power as a park supervisor to change the perception of the public too. Um, And that's what I teach other professionals. Um, For instance, I put, there was, I get 50 emails from the public saying, why didn't you weed this area? It's full of weeds. And I went and put a sign out there that said, pardon our weeds, it's pollinator habitat. The same 50 people emailed me and said, thank you for what you're doing. <laughs> so I teach people in the trade. I'm not saying we have to leave weeds and, you know, pollinate. We just plant native gardens everywhere. It's just we have to balance it out. Um, sure. so that's what the pollinator posse does now. We do outreach. And um, I, I had like 60 um, volunteers raising caterpillars in their houses. Um, yes, Anka's doing that. Right. And it and is. And I tell people, it's, I kind of pimp out the butterflies because I can't send bees home with kids. So <laughs> that was my goal, you know, and I even got the mayor of Oakland to raise caterpillars with her kids and release butterflies. And she took the Monarch um, Pledge with National Wildlife Federation. Oh, that's fantastic. And so um, that's basically, I, I'm just retired from my city job. I do miss um, Oakland itself. I think Oakland is a fabulous, beautiful city. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't miss the lack of staff. I'm, and right. I really, I just, I got, I got tired of being on the bottom of the budget. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I'm hoping someday somebody will say, Hey, you know, we have this, you know, ranch, we want to turn into a public space and we have all this funding and we want you know, it's like, it'd be nice to have like a lot of money to do what I'm doing. So no, that also answers our, like, if you had unlimited funds, what would you do? <laughs> but we can find you at the pollinatorposse.org. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And I would, if I had unlimited funds, I would create, I call it an eco, uh, a well, like a wellness retreat, but it's about ecotourism here in California. I would create wildlife corridors where people can come and stay in a yurt or, a, um, you know, up on platforms where they're not really trudging through the, the habitat, but they get to see how diverse our habitat here is in California. Well, you heard it first here. If folks, (laughs) if you have money to contribute to this project, you can reach Tora at pollinatorposse.org. And I think you've had the most specific answer to the, what, what would you do with unlimited (laughs) so far? So thank you very much for being with us today. It's been super great talking with you. Oh, thank you for asking. And I love what you guys are doing. Keep it up. We need to make a change right now. It's time. And thank you for working on ecology. All right. Have a good one. You too.